I invite you to be turning in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And as you're turning there, if you would, travel back with me in your mind. The year is 85 or 90 A.D., and the Apostle John is the last living apostle. His friends have all been martyred, killed for the name of Jesus Christ, and only John is left, and he's an old man. The temple that, that was at the center of Worship, and it was the heartbeat of the Jewish religion, as well as the starting point for what has been known as the way. That's Christianity, but then it was known as the way. The temple's been destroyed. It's been raised. It's been flattened by Emperor Titus 15 or 20 years prior to John's writing, 1 John. John's lived a long, long time, and he's seen many things come and go. Just as the world in which John lived has made many changes, so's the church. Strange new doctrines have appeared on the scene, doctrines that ran contrary to what Jesus and the apostles taught. And as a result of these doctrines, friends who once worshipped together now cross to the other side of the street when they see each other. Family members who once belted out, oh, how I love Jesus, while sitting on the same pew, now won't even sit at the same table to eat with each other. Some taught that since Jesus has forgiven us of our sins and since we stay forgiven forever, then do whatever you want to do because it's impossible for a Christian to sin. Others taught that everything physical was evil. Therefore, Jesus was never physical flesh and blood, but he was actually a spiritual being who only looked physical. Others taught just the opposite. They taught that Jesus was a physical flesh and blood man, but that he wasn't God. And against this backdrop, old man John rises up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he gets a little bit feisty. And in his feistiness, he writes the churches of Asia Minor to encourage them to stay true to Jesus Christ. And not just any Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Lord. The Jesus Christ that he knew and was his friend and that he spent time with. John says that even though he has seen a lot, he's heard a lot, he's experienced a lot, and even in the middle of a world that's filled with chaos, that there are some things that as Christians we can know. They might have lived in a confused world. John says, our world might be confused, but little children... There's some things as a Christ follower you can know. Fast forward to 2023. And many of you here have lived a long time. And 
You've gone through many different seasons and changes in your lives, and the world in which we live today is different than the world in which we grew up in. And as we get near the end of our lives, maybe it's normal to look around us with some nervousness and confusion and, and wonder if the things in which we put our faith and our trust are really true. Do you think we could use the same encouragement that John's readers needed in their world? Their world was chaotic and confused and ungodly. Our world, too, is chaotic and confused and ungodly. And can I suggest to you that the same words that comforted them 2,000 years ago will comfort us just as well if we'll let them. In this letter of 1 John, in this little letter, five short chapters long, John uses the word know, or its derivatives, 40 times. 40 times in 1 John, John says there's some things, Christian, that you can know. And in a world full of change and doubt and confusion, to live Christ-like is to know some things. Unchanging immovable things, things that you could build your house on the rock and know. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ died not only to eliminate death, Jesus Christ also died to eliminate doubt. In a world where it seems there are no absolutes, God gives his children definite not doubts. As I stand before you today, I'm preaching to you some things I know. And can I tell you that being almost 60 years old, I know these things today in a way I did not know them when I started preaching in 1982. My faith's gotten stronger. I know Jesus better. And there are just some things I know. And, and this morning we're going to introduce the letter of 1 John. And, uh, but we're not going to start with chapter 1, verse 1. Instead, we're going to go to the end of the book in John chapter 1 John 5. Because there are two verses in 1 John 5 that are going to be our outline this morning. But they are also going to be the, the lamp by which we see light to get through the whole book of 1 John. We will come back to these verses as we work our way through 1 John, but these two key verses unlock this letter of 1 John. And the first verse is 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. 1 John 5 and verse 19. John here says, we, that's Christians, that's me, that's you, we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. First of all, John 5.19 tells us we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are from God. We belong to God. We are God's children. In a world that's stuck in the clutches of Satan. Do I have to work very hard to build that case? 
Isn't this, can't you just watch the news for five minutes and realize that our world is in the grip of Satan? You and I can know that we belong to God and that we are his. This verse tells us two things. Number one, this verse tells us that we are of God. And number two, this verse tells us that the world is of Satan. We belong to God, the world belongs to Satan. If you're a Christ follower this morning, do you know why this world seems so messed up and confused and torn up and just crazy? That's because it belongs to Satan. And we belong to God. We have two different kings. We have two different lords. We have two different rulers that are ruling these things. And, and being of God tells us some things. The fact that we are of God, first of all, it tells us that as Christians, being of God means we are distinct from the world. We are to be different than the world. We operate under the direction of God. We are directed by God for God's purposes. Now, the world's directed by Satan. You want to know why the world's evil? You want to know why the world's mean? You want to know why the world's ungodly? You want to know why the world's immoral? It's because they take their marching orders from Satan. Y'all, as Christians, we're to live different than the world. We're to walk different, talk different, dress different, act different, speak different. Because we belong to God. We are distinct. And can I tell you this? If God is not in control, y'all, we might as well just go fishing and wait for the end. Amen? If Think about this. If God is not in control, we might as well just go to a cave somewhere and just wait for it all to blow up and catch on fire. But you know what? As a Christ follower, I know that God's in control. And I know that I belong to Him. And when I know that, and by knowing it, I mean more than just in our head. When we know that in our heart, we can get through whatever this world brings. Because it's coming to an end anyway. Somebody says, oh, Brother Andy, I'm so worried about what's going to happen. You know what I want to say? I want to put my hands on my hips and say, I know what's going to happen. It's all going to blow up. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what Scripture says. God's in control. And can I tell you that if God is not in control, not only may we go, might as well go fishing, but if God isn't in control, God isn't worthy of our worship. If God isn't in control, he's not worthy of our worship because he's in the same boat we are. If God doesn't know what's going to happen, he's no better off than we are, right? And boy, if God doesn't know what's going to happen, I'm just sunk. I'm like the little boy that his mama overheard him saying his prayers. He said, uh, she heard him say, God, take care of mama and take care of daddy and take care of my brother and my sister and my dog and my cat. And God, whatever you do, take care of yourself because if you don't, we're all sunk. <laughs> Y'all, we can know 
If you're a Christ follower this morning, you belong to God. We're distinct from the world. Also, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are in the world, not of the world. As Christians, we live in a hostile environment. I like to watch the TV show River Monsters. Jeremy Wade, he likes to fish and do different things, but sometimes he scuba dives. And, and scuba, diver, scuba diving is fascinating to me. Scuba equipment allows humans to go underwater and live and thrive in a world that they're not designed to live and thrive in. And just like scuba equipment, being of God means we have all that we need to live in a hostile environment. Because as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a child of God, this world belongs to Satan. We're in a hostile environment just like humans are made to be below in the sea. We're not made to breathe water. As Christians, we're not made to thrive in this world. You want to know why the world seems so different than you? It's because you're not designed to feel comfortable there. But we've been given the Holy Spirit in us that will allow us to live and thrive in this world. A real danger of learning theology is having big theological brains but not being able to apply what you know in order to survive in the world. It's kind of funny. I'll talk to some preacher friends of mine. We'll talk about uh, our sermons and what we're going to preach. And, and there's one fellow, bless his heart, I love him to death, but he gets all excited about He'll read a Greek word. and He said, I can't wait to tell my church how that... In the Greek tense of the aorist verb in the past this or the past that, this article is like this. And, and I get lost about halfway through what he's talking about. And what I want to remind him of, and I'll remind us as well, that what we need is theology that helps us get through our day tomorrow, right? A theology that helps us live out our faith at school or at work or at senior citizens or, or at Walmart or wherever it is we're going. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And you know, sometimes we Christians, I think we make a mistaken notion and, and we get under this mistaken notion that our world is worse or more evil than other worlds that have existed before ours. But did you know history shows otherwise? When you examine and study history, did you know that men and women have always been sinful? Ever since the Garden of Eden, man and woman have been sinful, and guess what? They always will be. And can I tell you that you can't fall any lower than total depravity? And what I mean by that is, the book of Romans says there's no one good, no, not one. We are born in sin. You can't get any worse than that. The problem is today, one thing we do have, we have more toys and we have more technology to sin in the same old ways. There's no sin today that's a new sin. It may be taking an old sin a step further. But like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. We're just sinning in different ways. Well, you say, is our world worse than John's world? 
When John wrote this, is our world worse than his? Think about this. All that John knew and held dear was gone. The temple, his friends, that mighty movement known as the way that had over 50,000 people in Jerusalem, they've been scattered. And they're all over the world, and right now they're huddling for their lives in the face of Jewish and Roman persecution. John's world was bad. It was a hostile environment for the Christian, and so is our world. You remember in Genesis 6, in the days of Noah, God said, the thought of mankind was evil continually. The world was so bad in Noah's day when God decided to destroy it, he could only find eight righteous people. We think our world is awful, and it is. But can I tell you that the world has always been hostile to children of God? The world's always been evil, and it will be evil until God blows it all up. And we have a new heaven and a new earth. And the taint of sin will then be gone. John reminds his readers, and he reminds us that being of God gives the Christian all he or she needs in order to survive. Yes, we live in a messed up world, but guess what, y'all? We're on the winning team. We belong to God, and God's given us everything we need to survive. But being of God also tells us that we are placed here and now by God to complete his purposes for his glory. Have you ever thought about why God let you live right now instead of some other time? Sometimes I get aggravated because I'd like to be a cowboy. I'd like to live back in the cowboy days and go on the cattle drives and all that kind of thing. Why did God put me here? And maybe you'd like to go back and be a princess. Or, or maybe you'd be whatever. Or maybe you'd like to be Captain Kirk in the future and, and be part of Star Trek. Did you know that there's a reason why you and I are here right now? And that's because this is where God wanted us. God wanted us right here, right now. Keep your finger on 1 John. And turn back to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And look at verse 1. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And the Hebrew writer has spent all of Hebrews 11 talking about the hall of fame of faith. All those Old Testament heroes, Abraham and Moses and Noah and all those folks, the, the, the things that they overcame and they conquered to show their faith. And he comes to chapter 12, verse 1, and says, Therefore, we also, and the we there can include us, by the way, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You and I have a race set before us by God. My race is different than your race. 
Your race is different than my race. Our race is different than John's race. But we all have a race that's set before us, and that race is life. Well, who gave us our life? Who gave us our race? God. We are much like Esther in Esther chapter 4 when Mordecai reminded her perhaps you were made queen for a time such as this. Did you know God's got confidence in you and me? He must. Because he put you and me in the middle of this world. With everything that's going on in it. All the violence. All the ungodliness all the immorality, all of the anti-God rhetoric that we hear. God has placed you and me right in the middle of it. Why? To be lights. To show His glory. To talk about God. To talk about how wonderful and precious God is. And to tell others what Jesus has done for us so that Jesus before the foundations of the world, God's plans now are being unfolded. And we are part of that plan. Right here, right now. Y'all, I know I'm a God, and I also know God doesn't make mistakes. God puts you here and now on purpose. Not to sit on a pew for 40 years, but to make a difference for God right now. We are of God. But now if you look back at 1 John 5 and verse 13, there's another verse I want us to look at. John, 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, know what? Know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Not only can we know we are of God and that we belong to God, we can also know that we have eternal life. In Jesus Christ, the eternity question has been settled permanently. We can be confident that we, if we have been truly saved, we will stay saved. How would you answer this question? If you died today, would you spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? Can I tell you that the Christian, the Christ follower, has a better answer than I hope so? So many Christians I talk to, do you know where you're going to heaven? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know you're going to heaven? They say, I hope so. Y'all, God, Jesus Christ died for more than a hope so religion. John says, I write these things so you may know that you have eternal life. Somebody says, well, saying you know you're going to heaven, that's just cocky and arrogant. But I disagree. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Keep 1 John in your 
with your marker, but 2 Timothy chapter 4. verse 6. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6 beginning. We're going to read down to verse 8. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter and he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Paul knows that, knows that his death at the hands of the Romans is imminent. And he says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the faith. I have kept, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but to all of those who love his appearance. Paul says, I'm done with my life, and guess what? When I die, I know where I'm going. Paul also said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I know that to, for me to die is to be absent in my body, but to be present with the Lord Paul knew where he was going when he died. And can I tell you, Paul was not cocky and arrogant. Paul knew where he was going because he knew he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gave him that salvation. Can I remind you that we're not saved by our good works? We're not saved by our obedience to say we have earned our salvation or we're good enough to get to heaven, y'all, that's cocky and arrogant. Right? I'm good enough, but I'm sorry. You've done a lot of good works, but they're just not quite good enough. You're, you're not as good as I am, and, and I, I get to go, but you don't get to go. That's cocky and arrogant. None of us are good enough. But can I tell you about somebody who was? That's Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He was sinless in thought. He was sinless in word. He was sinless in deed. Jesus Christ deserved, Jesus Christ the man, deserved to live forever. But instead, he died for sin. Not his sin, but my sin. And your sin. And Jesus Christ was put on that cross. The wrath of God was poured out on him. Scripture said we became sin. Or he became sin. So that we could have his righteousness. That's the great exchange. Jesus exchanged our sin for his righteousness. Jesus took our sin. And he gave us. His righteousness. Notice back in verse 13 of 1 John 5. Notice the predicator of verse 13. 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know you have eternal life. Not everybody's going to know they have eternal life. How do we know we have eternal life? 
we've believed on the name of Jesus. We've believed, we've trusted in the name of Jesus. The confidence of our salvation is not based on ourselves, our works, or our obedience. The confidence of our salvation is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross? Jesus wasn't talking about his life. He wasn't done yet. He's coming back for another 40 days, and he went back to heaven, and he's coming back again. Jesus Christ's life isn't over. He was raised to walk life forever. What was finished was the work of salvation. What was finished was God's plan that he made before the foundations of the earth to reconcile man back to God. And we don't do that on our own. We're not good enough. We, it's in, we have a sin nature. It's impossible for us to be sinless. But the fact when Jesus says, it is finished, that phrase meant Jesus did everything God required to pay for sin. Nothing else is required. Jesus was offered as a sacrifice once for all, for all time. And the very fact that three days later Jesus was resurrected from the dead proves that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The work of Jesus Christ is enough. When we truly believe that and let that sink in and think about that, let that change our hearts and our lives, let the Holy Spirit wash us anew. When we're born again, y'all, we can know we have eternal life. First John, or John 3.16 doesn't say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have maybe eternal life, or maybe some kind of life. He says eternal life. Eternal life is either eternal or God's a liar. You ever thought about that? Eternal life is either forever or God's telling a story. We can know we belong to God. We can know we have eternal life. And as Christians, we can know and have confidence in where we're from. People spend a whole lot of money today on Ancestry.com to try to find out where they come from. Can I save you a bunch of money? And can I let you know that we all come from Adam? I know that's a cop-out. Everybody wants to know where we are nationality. But as a Christian, as a Christ follower, we know where we're from. We're from God. We belong to him. He's our father. Jesus is our brother. And he's our savior and our Lord. As Christians, we know where we're going. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus. So can I tell you, if you know where you're from, and if you know where you're going, 
you have a road map for life. You have a road map that will get you where you want to go.